What is passion? To me, it's just what are those things that light the fire inside of you? So if you've already started your own business, unless you're just purely in it for the money, there's a good chance that you've started that business with a purpose. And that purpose was fueled by a passion. Welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast with Brian Collins. Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers. I think you'd agree with me when I say it can be sometimes difficult to figure out the answer to the question, what should I write about? To help you find that answer, let me explain how I figured out what to write about. And then we'll get into this week's podcast interview with Christopher Connors. He's the author of Emotional Intelligence. So a couple of years ago, I was struggling to figure out what I wanted to write about. And I checked Amazon to see what types of books were selling. And I saw the books that were selling were typically thrillers, science fiction, and romance. So I decided to try and write a thriller book. And I spent a couple of months writing a thriller book, but it just really didn't excite me. And I wasn't able to really finish the story. Anyway, at the time, I was sent on a storytelling workshop in the rest of Ireland by work by my employer. And the storytelling workshop was by a guy called Robert McKee, who's written the book Story, which I recommend every writer check out, no matter your genre. And at the end of the workshop, I went up to Robert McKee and I asked him, how can a writer figure out what they should write about? And he said to me, write what you love to read. And when I pressed him on it, he said to go home and look at your library. So I went home and I looked at my bookshelf and I looked at my Kindle library and I looked at Pocket, which is the app I use to read articles on the go on my phone. And almost everything were from books or articles in genres like business, entrepreneurship, writing, creativity, and self-help, at least at the time. And yet somehow I was trying to write a thriller book. It was no wonder I wasn't making much progress. In fact, the genres I knew most about were the genres I've just described there. So I stopped trying to write thrillers and science fiction, and I started writing in those genres instead. So if you're struggling to figure out what you should write about, then just look in your library, look at your bookshelf, look at the pocket app on your phone and ask yourself, what are you spending time reading? Because you already understand the conventions of those genres and what readers expect. So once you've made that decision, then you can start exploring and expressing yourself in those genres. Now, of course, there's a little bit more to it than that. What if you want to earn an income from a particular genre? Well, I've interviewed a number of best-selling authors on this podcast over the past year or two. And if you've enjoyed the interviews on the podcast, you could leave a review on the iTunes store or even rate the show because that would really help more people find the show and find and will help me attract more listeners. Anyway, what I've discovered is many of these nonfiction authors have a business behind their books. They offer services like coaching, mentorship, they sell courses, or they even use their book as a calling card so people will find out who they are, come to their events, and so on. In other words, a lot of successful nonfiction authors don't rely on book sales alone. So if you're going to write nonfiction, I'd encourage you to consider what other ways could you generate an income from your ideas and from your writing. And of course, the easiest way to do it is to turn your freelance articles into a book and then perhaps turn your book into a course, because in that way you can serve your readers in different ways. And don't forget, people like to consume information in different formats. One person might like a video, another person might prefer an audio podcast like this, and a third person might want to read it in a book. And of course, depending on how big your audience is or the topic, you can, of course, charge for those different formats. One nonfiction author who's doing this successfully is Christopher Connors. He's the author of Emotional Intelligence for the Modern Leader. And Christopher has recently published his book, but it's a supplement to the other services that he offers leaders, the other types of coaching services that he sells. 
His latest book, he explains what it means to be emotionally intelligent. He talks about his ideal early morning routine and how he finds the nonfiction book writing process. And he also talks about the research that goes into his latest book. I was particularly interested to hear Christopher's take on how an entrepreneur, particularly a creative one, can become an emotionally resilient leader. There's plenty of other things we get into in this week's podcast episode. I started by asking Christopher to explain the key idea from his new book, Emotional Intelligence for the Modern Leader. Yeah, so emotional intelligence for the modern leader is really, the goal is that it's the most succinct how-to, practical guide to really integrating emotional intelligence into your repertoire, both personally and professionally, using it to your advantage. It is more of a business leadership book. It's also about how you transform culture of an organization from a business and leadership standpoint. But there's a lot of personal development stuff in there, Brian. It kind of ties back to a lot of the writing that I do. This is a little bit less of the you know, kind of doctorate degree, and it's much more of the business how-to, which kind of jives with my professional background of having worked in project management and consulting. And it's really about how do you plug things in like self-awareness, adaptability, empathy, and use that to your advantage to uh, be successful and to feel fulfilled. Yeah, I'll ask you about that in a moment. But I'm curious, how come you decided to write a book? Because it sounds like you're, you know, you're probably quite busy as an entrepreneur and somebody who's running their own business. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's a great question. So I written my first book about two and a half, well, finished it over two and a half years ago, it was published about two and a half years ago called The Value of You. And I was pretty content, you know, with not necessarily writing another book for a little while. But you know, so much of where I started to move after that was about emotional intelligence. And I was able to get contacted by a publisher, uh, Callisto Media. And this book is going to be under their imprint called Rockridge Press. And they've actually published uh, some New York Times bestselling books and had a lot of success in that space. And I think they had seen that I had had a lot large presence online with my writing doing emotional intelligence. And they kind of came to me with, you know, the very infancy stages of an idea of what this could be. And I thought, you know what, this is exactly in alignment with what I've been doing as a writer, as a speaker, and the coaching that I do. And I thought, Brian, I don't know if I would have taken the opportunity if it weren't something that were just speaking exactly to who I am for where I'm at at this stage in my life. And, and very much what that is, is you know, promoting the message of emotional intelligence and just exactly how to use it to your advantage. Because I've seen so many people succeed and live better, happier, more fulfilling lives by you know, having higher EQs. And so it was an exact alignment with a lot of what I was doing already. And I was very fortunate that a publisher was able to see me and want to spread that idea. So how do you define emotional intelligence? And if somebody feels like it's something that they unnecessarily don't have, but it's a weakness, can they improve it? So it's five things for me. It's it's passion and values. That's one and two. And then it's really purpose, mission, goals. And so what is passion? To me, it's just what are those things that light the fire inside of you? So if you've already started your own business, unless you're just purely in it for the money, there's a good chance that you've started that business with a purpose. And that purpose was fueled by a passion. So if your desire is to put, you know, like even going back to like what Apple was of putting, you know, handheld technology and the internet and information in the hands of individuals and, and giving that gift to the world. And that's part of that. You know, for me, it's wanting to help individuals improve. So a lot of what I do is self-improvement oriented with my coaching, speaking and writing. And so for me, the passion was, I want to help other people reach their potential and their goals. And that's a lot of people that are in the space that I'm in. I think no matter what you're doing as an entrepreneur, wherever your idea kind of generates from, you have to have a passion for it. Your values are things like honesty, integrity, for me, competitive greatness, trying to be the absolute best that I can be every day. It could be faith, love, you know, a lot of the things that I wrote about in my first book. And then the purpose is really kind of, you know, Simon Sinek seemed to like hijack this, I think, 
in the last couple of years of your why. Why are you doing what you're doing? And hopefully you have a good reason for that from a business standpoint. You know, why are you doing this? Because that feeds into your mission, which to me is the definition of how you're defining success. What is success going to be for you? If you have a you know, good why, the how gets a lot easier. A hundred percent. You know, for me, where I learned about the definition of success, you know, being here, especially in the U.S. and even internationally, a lot of people are probably familiar with Coach John Wooden, who is, you know, one of the most famous basketball coaches in the history of college basketball, especially. But you know, became in his later years a leadership expert, someone that had a lot of best-selling books. And for him, you know, he always had his definition of success, and that was independent of what anybody else thought of him. For him, that was, you know, deriving self-satisfaction of knowing that he gave the best that he could every day to be the best that he could be. So that success to me, that, that feeds into the goals. I don't know how you set goals as a businessman, as a businesswoman, as an entrepreneur, if you're not informed by the foundation. And to me, all those things that we just talked about, passion, values, purpose, and how you define success, that to me is the foundation of everything. And that informs the goals you set that you can go out and execute. And you talked there about a competitive greatness, was that the, the term you used? So I'm curious, what does a successful day for you look like? Because for me, you know, if I had like an hour or two for creative time for writing, if I had some time to work out or go for a run, you know, that'd be a good start to the day. So what does that look like? Yeah, for, for me, it, it generally speaking is that I, to the best of my ability, completed the things that are more or less on my to-do list. But to your point, you know, that stuff for me, it goes deeper than that. It ties back to what I kind of would call the four dimensions of wellness, you know, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. I, ideally, I've done things to exercise those muscles, uh, so to speak, every day to become a better person. So at my core and at my heart, it's about personal development. But when it comes to moving the business forward, it's setting, you know, it's setting tasks, putting tasks in front of me and setting goals every day to do a certain number of things. And I've learned that you know, in a lot of instances, that's not always tied to, you know, monetary achievement. It's just maybe tied to executing and doing everything that I can within my control, you know, to help somebody else, to move my business forward, to, you know, find time, like you said, for writing, um, you know, things like that, that I have control over, not the things that I don't have control over. So how did you balance like writing this book with running your business? Did you spend like an hour a day in it or what way did it work? Some days I didn't spend any time and then others I'd, I'd get on a roll, uh, you know, three hours, just pump out, you know, 5,000 words. And that's kind of who I am. I think as an athlete, when I played sports, I was kind of a streaky athlete. And I think as a writer, I'm a streaky writer. I have days where I feel like mush, you know, there's nothing coming to me. And then I have days where uh, probably ties into some of the Stephen Pressfield stuff around, you know, his book, the war of art, you know, whereas I think that there's just times where that creative imagination is going, the ideas are more free flowing, uh, the stories are, are coming easier. And I think that when I get in those grooves, I would really try to carve out blocks of time on my calendar to just focus just on that and not worry about anything else in that moment. So the way we met is we were in a Slack group with other writers who publish on networks like Medium. How instructive do you find it or helpful do you find it to share your work or your writings with other writers, like for example, in that group, or perhaps not even online? I would say that the group to me, Brian, that we're a part of, because I've been in it now for a while, it feels more like home. I don't know if I would want to be doing it with just anybody that you know I, I met. Uh, I think there's, there's an element of relationship building. And I've been able to you know, identify with several of the people in that group and share my writing. And you know, I think a lot of the people in that group are, are really great writers that we have. You know, I could rattle off every name, I'm sure. I wouldn't put one name above the other, to be totally honest with you. I've gotten the, you know, the experience to know a number of people through there. We talked about Brian, 
excuse me, Mike Thompson was the person that originally had reached out to me and kind of organized things. And so, you know, it's been really helpful. It's been a boost of confidence. And I think that as a writer, no matter what you're doing, I think for me writing, you know, it really helps to hear somebody else say, this was a really good piece. It makes you feel better about things and it gives you more confidence to think clearly and go forward with what you're doing. So I, I would encourage anybody that's not a part of a mastermind group or not a part of, you know, exchanging ideas and sharing information with other people. As the saying goes, there's power in numbers. And, and I even wrote in my book about the African proverb, you know, you want to go far, go with others, basically, is what that is. So, Yeah, I mean, I've, years ago, I was in a creative writing group, and that was helpful to get feedback from other writers. But now it's great to be getting feedback from, excuse me, nonfiction writers. And that's something that happens in the group quite a lot. How do you find it when you gave a chapter of your book to your editor or perhaps to early readers and they came back and said, oh, I didn't really get this bit or could you rewrite that bit? How did you approach that kind of feedback? Yeah, well, for me, for me, it was with the editing side of it, it was like, you wrote too much. They wanted this book to be coming in at about 35,000 words. And I think I originally had it more between 40 and 45. And so, you know, it's hard no matter how, I don't know if the right way to word this, you know, like no matter how much you're lacking a sensitivity to other people, maybe critiquing your work. I mean, they had to shop out about five to 6,000 words because that's just where I came in at. But I'll tell you, you know, being able to work with a professional editing team that was able to kind of walk me through things and it's great. It's a great feeling. I, I take the criticism uh, in terms of critiques, not criticism, but just professional critiques to heart. You know, at the end of the day, I don't look at, I think that this book is great. And I think it's going to help a lot of people. I don't, I don't think it's, you know, Leonardo da Vinci's greatest masterpiece either. And, and I, I think I have that humility as a writer to know I can always get better. And I hope that the next book is better than this and so on and so forth. And that, you know, as a writer, I never want to feel like I'm stagnating. I never want to feel like, you know, I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing for X number of years. I, I want to get better. So I want people to say to me, I think you could have done this better. or I think you could have done that better. So you have case studies in the book as well. For example, Sarah Blakely and Brad Stevens, Sarah Blakely of, of Spanx. How did you decide to include those in your book? Or was perhaps that something you'd been thinking of when you were researching the book? Yeah, I, I had complete creative freedom over what you're talking about is the first chapter of the book. There are four different leadership models uh, of, of individuals that I chose. And, you know, Sarah Blakely was somebody that I had become more familiar with over the last three to four years. Some people that don't know, she's a billionaire. She started a company that's over, you know, worth over a billion dollars. And I, I frankly think one of the most successful businesswomen, you know, female entrepreneurs ever. It's unbelievable her story. And actually, the more that I read and learned about her, the more I realized like how much it really was EQ and grit that built her company. And then Brad Stevens, you know, he's, you know, probably the American sports coach that at least at this moment in time, in terms of someone that's more of a contemporary in, in terms of age. Now, probably the person that I admire the most, somebody that, like me, had played uh, Division three college basketball here in the U.S. and became a college coach eventually and was extraordinarily successful at a much smaller college and is now the head coach of the Boston Celtics. And, uh, you know, the more I've learned about Brad Stevens, it's, it's his demeanor, it's the relationships that he builds with his players. And he's actually done a bunch of work uh, with like Angela Duckworth, who wrote the book Grit. And that, you know, further fascinated me. And the more I kind of peeled back the onion and did research on his peers that are coaches in the NBA and other people that have come in contact with him, the more I read, you know, quotes and things that said, you know, he's a great basketball mind, but what separates him from everybody else is his emotional intelligence. It's his ability to lead with empathy and understand the, the players that he leads and to get them to gel. The last thing I'll say on that is that right now here in the U.S., 
there's a wildly popular uh, documentary series that's running about the Chicago Bulls teams from about 20 to 25 years ago when Michael Jordan played. And their coach was Phil Jackson, who's one of the most famous sports coaches here in the U.S. And, and really the way that Phil Jackson was able to succeed was leading with emotional intelligence. It was you know, connecting and really identifying with the players that he led. And a lot of people didn't know that even before, you know, before Michael Jordan, before he became the coach of those teams, Michael Jordan had not won a championship in the NBA. And it wasn't until Phil Jackson got there that he was able to kind of forge that very deep, powerful connection. And, and I think that that, you know, if I've nothing else would just say, you know, emotional intelligence is forging deep connection with people and using your own self-awareness to understand, you know, how to connect with other people. I, I, empathy is just enormous. And the really great leaders are able to succeed at doing that. Sounds like you've read a good few leadership books while you're researching this book. What do you think makes for a good business book or leadership book these days? You know, for me, just given who I am, you know, I'm a very spiritual person. I'm somebody that I like when things really touch my heart beyond just me improving up here in my head. And so I think for me, it's something that's going to really touch me based on my experience, right? Something that's, you know, experiential or empirical that, you know, I've maybe felt in the workplace before. But something that's going to be very tangible, you know, about how I go about making improvements, you know, so it's going to have that self-improvement nature to it. Now, I think certain business books are able to do that. Some of my favorite books are, are probably less business and leadership specific. Actually, Phil Jackson, uh, the coach that I was just referencing, had written a book in the early 90s, you know, called Sacred Hoops. And a lot of people wouldn't think of that book necessarily as a pure leadership book. I actually think it is a leadership book in disguise. <laughs> And it's one of the best books I've ever read. It's had an, an impact on the way that I think. And I think, to be honest with you, probably influenced my desire to want to learn more about emotional intelligence and how to motivate others, how to empathize with them, how to learn more about yourself. So, you know, I think great books like that, great leadership books for me, kind of touch the soul to be succinct. Yeah, I definitely agree with that when there's some element of storytelling. And I enjoy John Wooden's insights on leadership, something I've written about before. I'm also curious, it's quite hard to launch a book at the moment. At the time of recording this interview, we're both still in lockdown because of the coronavirus. So do you have any particular plans to promote the book? It sounds like it'll be online promotions. Yeah, mostly. You know, unfortunately, I think where I'm a little bit handicapped right now is the ability to be getting out and doing speaking, which is a big part of my platform as I'm, I'm a professional yeah. speaker. But fortunately, being through the publisher, you know, they're, they're doing a lot of advertising through Amazon and connecting, you know, to a lot of other, you know, successful people that are out there. I'm doing, you know, just like this, Brian, I mean, this is a real you know, honor to be here with you to be doing a podcast like this. And I've been, you know, trying to connect with other folks to kind of get more of the word out. So, you know, I think like anybody, there's that promotional aspect. It's, you know, in, in some ways through the publisher, I mean, <laughs> contractual to be doing some of these things, but I, I'm doing it because at the end of the day, I, I wrote this book. I think anytime you sit down to write a book like this, it's, it, you know, no matter whether you're writing the next New York Times bestseller or not, you know, I, I think it has to be a labor of love. It goes back to what I talked about before with the vision and the game plan of having a passion. I'm passionate about getting emotional intelligence into the hands of others, not just as something that they all of a sudden know about, but as something that they can actually use and utilize in their own lives to be better for it. And so, you know, my goal is to touch as many people as I can with this. And I'm already doing it in the coaching work that I do with individuals and some organizations. And so just a big believer in that. Yeah, well, the other thing that's troubling with the book is it's quite practical. So there are like questions you can ask yourself. There's bullet point lists, steps that you can walk through. Did you write it, that kind of application in mind that the reader should be able to take action? 100%. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. So at the end of each chapter, there's an assessment. 
There's also, you know, just some some practical exercises that you can use. And so it's kind of in a way similar to how I set up my first book. At the end of the book, I asked people to take different action steps as part of a game plan. And so, you know, that publisher had a lot of influence over that, which I'm glad they did. I think they did a great job of helping me to kind of structure and set up the chapters of the book. So this is meant to be very practical and how to, as you said. And so these exercises are things that are going to help you getting to think deeper about all of the different components of what emotional intelligence is. And it's very evident after you go through a lot of this to realize, you know, just how much this is a skill set you can improve and continue to keep improving as you go forward. And do you find finally, as somebody who's running a business, that a book is useful for finding more clients to work with? I think it is. I mean, certainly, you know, what's interesting is that I know that there are people out there that they do it because they look at it in that regard. I have written books because I love to do it. That's nice that that's going to be a part and a component that comes with it. I think by nature, I'm just a little bit more humble. I'm not the kind of person that's typically flashing, you know, or, or flying that flag all over the place. But you know, I do have that to my name now, and I'm and I am very proud of it, and I'm very confident in terms of what I've written that it can help people. So, you know, I've I've found that it's been able to open doors as far as some speaking engagements go, and having some coaching clients, and it just you know adds to the legitimacy and the prestige of I guess what makes you who you are. And so, but I did it like I you know like I kind of said I think if nothing else, and I do think that this really is a part of EQ in terms of your own self awareness. I think when you do things for the love of the game, so to speak, when you do things for the love of it, I think the business part of it tends to take care of itself. Yeah, I definitely agree that part of the day needs to be spent working on something that you're doing for the love of it rather than for, you know, because it's going to generate more sales or revenue or money. Otherwise, it's just a recipe for disaster or frustration. So when is the book out? Uh, the book is officially, the paperback release date is May 19th. The ebook is actually available on May 5th. So today, being May 1st, we're only a few days away from that. The book is available right now on pre-order, both ebook and paperback on amazon.com. And I think that, you know, for most folks, you know, whether based in the U.S. or otherwise, you know, you should be able to access the ebook by going to your Amazon page in, in the country that you live in. Uh, at the bare minimum, you'd be able to get the ebook. And if people want to find out more about you, Christopher, do you have a site that you can send direct people to? Yeah, real simple. So it's just, you know, my name is Christopher D. Connors and my website is Chris D. Connors. So Chris D. is in David Connors. Dot com and I spell the Connors with an O at the end of it. So yeah, that's the best way to find me. You can, you know, just on Google type in Christopher D. Connors and I should come up pretty quickly and happy to connect with anybody that's wanting to connect. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. If you did, please leave a rating on the iTunes store. And if you want to accomplish more with your writing, please visit becomearitertoday.com forward slash join and I'll send you a free email course. Thanks for listening.